Welcome, everyone. This is Tamini Farah, and this is our podcast, Tamini Emotion. I'm a psychotherapist and a dancer, and our podcast series focuses primarily on stories of courage and resilience, as well as speaking with healers about their journey, um, working with their clients in various ways. So today we're welcoming Michelle Gardner, a psychotherapist, and uh, welcome, Michelle. Great to be here. Thank you so much for asking me. It's, it's an honor. Yeah, I'm so excited to speak with you today about your practice and what brought you into the field of psychotherapy. Why don't you speak to us a little bit about that? Well, you know, it's funny to me because, I, um, I mean, I have friends who had have worked in careers that, you know, they knew from the beginning. I have a good friend um, who's a teacher and always said that she knew from day one she wanted to be a teacher um, and, and, and was, you know, until she retired. I was, that was not my journey. <laughs> I, I um, gosh, I did so many different things. Never knew, like as, as a young adult, didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do, but just kind of... Um, it was like an evolution for me from one thing to another. Um, I started to say I was on a 10-year plan after a few decades. Um, I worked as a, uh, an editor in um, textbook publishing out of college mm. and um, then did freelance writing and editing and then um, raised a family for a few years, did, you know, doing part-time things and then uh, went to uh, went through a divorce and then went to massage school and then I was doing massage for several years and um, and and kind of knew that I wanted to do something a little bit different or or kind of evolve in that in in the helping profession and um, one day just googled something like body centered psychotherapy or somatic psychotherapy and found this beautiful modality called um, called Hakomi which many people have not heard of. People are more and more familiar these days with body-centered work, but um, Hakomi was one of, the, one of the originals that kind of evolved um, back in the 70s. And I did a two-year training with them. It was actually even before I went back to grad school and just fell in love with that work and had known that, you know, had a kind of had a long-term plan at that point that... Uh, to go to back to grad school or to go to grad school after my youngest child was went off to college and I was taking college grad courses until I fully you know joined a a, a full time program and so so you um, you took the I, leap after you went through the two year program and realized that 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 spoke to you yeah I mean I knew that I knew I mean I did the program knowing that I was going to gra- go to grad school. But I, you know, like my initial thought was, I want to be um, a psychotherapist in private practice. Like that's that was my vision, you know. And then I did this training, and I still kind of, you know, I still thought that that I would be doing that. And then once I got into grad school, had you know, we have our different internships, our field placements, and my first one was in a nursing home, which I just loved. I just loved working with that population, um, and then uh, my own my own personal journey through life experiences and personal growth and studying Buddhism, um, started getting kind of attracted to end of life 
work and so my second year field placement was with a hospice and I just fell in love with that work. Oh, that's and, interesting. Um, Wait, let me, let me ask you about that mm-hmm. because that's, yeah, sure. you know, I think for people listening, hospice work is not for everybody. And mm-hmm. I think in our culture, there's almost a fear of getting too close to death and too close to mm-hmm. end of life issues. So what do you think attracted you to that? Well, again, you know, like some of my own personal experiences um, in combination with, you know, the, the, my own personal growth and studying Buddhism. Both my parents, um, my father died about 20 years ago, my mom about 10 years ago. My father was in hospice care in Florida and um, didn't know that he was. He was in a facility and um, it just, we had a relative who knew the medical director. So it was like, yeah, we can get him in hospice, but we're, you know, my mother didn't want him to know, you know, <laughs> that, that a lot of people feel that way, you know, well, if they know, then they'll give right, up. Right, right. The word and then, scares and, 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 people. Yeah. Right. And, um, and so I remember having a conversation in the hallway outside my dad's room with the hospice nurse who was wonderful and my very first experience, you know, with hospice ever. And I just remember telling her that it was just hard for me, I, you know, to go in and to be with my dad every day. And for, he thought he was going home, you know, and he spoke like, you know, when I go home, I'm doing this and that. And, um, and I just said it. So I just expressed how hard mm-hmm. it was for me to, to, you know, I didn't, but then he, and then apparently she told the, the doctor and the doctor had a conversation with my father and my mother was very upset because, um, then he quote unquote knew, um, but, but selfishly I, or not, I'm, it led to a conversation that I had with my father that would never have mm. happened. Um, that, you know, I feel like, you know, he felt like he expressed he didn't think he'd been a good father. And I was able to tell him that I thought he had and that my brothers and I always knew how much he loved us. And, and I feel like I gave him, you know, maybe the ability to die with some peace that something that was weighing on him. Um, and I remember that was such a powerful experience yes. for me, even though my mother was angry at me because she said, when it's my time, I don't want to know. Um, but fast Fast forward to, you know, 10 years later when she ultimately, you know, was dying and, and I called hospice. She was not really, she was kind of in and out of consciousness. So I didn't really feel like I was going against her wishes. Um, I mean, she didn't tell me not to call in hospice, but, you know, being with her in those last few days before she died um, and then afterwards, it was such an, a sacred experience yes. to me. And I mean, obviously it was my mother, but... Um, but I was, it, it, it like opened up, it kind of blew my mind in a sense that, you know, how, how beautiful it really was and how powerful and the conversations that we had in those days as she was going in and out and being with someone, I mean, my mother, but being with a person, you know, at the end of their life, um, just had such an impact on me in addition to the fact, obviously, that it was my, um, my mother, um. So that, that kind of, and that was before I was even in grad school or anything, but again, it was just another piece, you know, that was kind of leading me there. Yeah. And I'm, I'm also struck with this, with this story that, um, if we pay attention to the things that are going on for us in our life, um, they open up other possibilities that if you don't have the awareness, I mean, clearly you were having in these two situations, you were having such a profound experience that it led to a life-changing decision. Is that true? Yes. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a sense, yeah. yes. I mean, I mean that experience with my mother. I'd already been studying Buddhism um, and done, you know, some retreats and the, but but at, but like in that experience, I just you know really dealt into and because there's so many writings, you know, about death and dying um, in Buddhism, and I just really delved into that at that time. Also thinking like I wanted sitting at my mother's bedside. I mean, I wasn't I. You know, I wasn't going to be be praying for her to live. Mm-hmm. I, I knew this was the end of her journey, you know. But I thought, what else can I do? And I found some Buddhist practices, you know, that, that were meaningful, that I thought, this is something I can do that maybe will help her, you know, while I'm feeling helpless. And um, and then the power, the power of that. And, you know, the whole concept of Buddhist impermanence and, um, you know, in life and of life and that acceptance, you know, that yes. this is where we're, it's kind of pragmatic in a sense that, you know, we're all going to die, you know, but, but nobody wants to talk about this thing that's going to happen to every single one. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, um, you know, I'm really appreciating as you're speaking about this openly, how the conversation needs to happen kind of on a regular basis because it's facing us every day. I think, you know, just to, um, divert a little bit i think during this covid time and because we're faced with these uh these death numbers every day on our tv mm. screens or on the radio or the news whatever uh we're all thinking about it a little bit more and um yes. so Absolutely. actually i think this conversation is very relevant to what's happening in the moment but um can we just go Absolutely. back a little bit and can you define for our audience what the body-centered approach is? Uh, well, the, the, you know, there are a lot of different ones, but the one that I studied, um, and I, you know, I guess the basic, speaking generally, this would be true, I guess, for all of, all of the body-centered approaches, um, is, is kind of that the body, the body holds, you know, the memory of all of our experiences, and so, you know, whether it's, you know, we, we hear the word trauma is used a lot, but, you know, sometimes we call, you know, there's the big T trauma and the small T trauma, you know, that, you know, someone might say, well, I've, I've never experienced, you know, I've never experienced trauma. But then if you delve in, you know, people have little traumas through their lives or just things that really impacted them. And, and that's, that stays with us, you know, because our mind is, is as Jack Kornfield, you know, Buddhist meditation teacher, psychologist says, it's like Hollywood up here in our minds. Mm-hmm. You know, we can, the, the mind can do so much to erase, to deny, to hide, to, you know, um, all of our experiences where the body, it doesn't go away. We might not always be aware of it. And that's where something like a body centered approach comes in to help people connect and to connect with, you know, with the, the, what's, it, what's going on in their body, a, a place in their body or experience in their body to help them connect that with the core, the core material, the core emotional material, um, whether it's trauma, it doesn't have to be trauma, you know, um, I use it all the time with people. It's not always specifically about, you know, a, a big trauma or even a little T trauma, but just, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, I felt that, you know, I mean, we, I think if we all stopped, almost everyone could say that they've had that experience of like a tightening, whether it's, yes. you know, in your chest or your around your heart. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the words and language that we have, like comes from that experience, you know, like heartache, like yes. when we lose someone, when we have a breakup or, or, you know, someone dies, 
like our heart literally hurts and we don't like there's a reason for that mm-hmm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know and paying attention to that you know that not just everything isn't always you know we're not always able to figure everything out in our heads yes uh the body keeps the score and yes, yeah does. it really does it keeps <laughs> us all straight and um we all somatize we all hold pain in different areas of body yes. and it's 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 very important to stay connected to where your pain is. Um, yes. So why don't you um, walk us through how you would, when a client comes in, how do you introduce um, how you're going to work with them? Well, I mean, um, I have to say that, and again, I've, you know, loose, loosely using the, the modality that I learned, Hakomi, um, Hakomi itself is, is really, you know, we call it like assisted self-study. So I would say it's not like that sort of, it, all of this is not for everybody and or in every situation. Um, because like, especially with Hakomi, you, you, you need to be, you need to have someone and, and, you know, help or help someone, you know, get to that place where they can be mindful of what's going on in their bodies. And, um, and, and, I, and I, I just have to back up and say, I am not an expert in all the modalities. I mean, there are some body-centered. There's some wonderful ones out there that are, and some of which are very specifically targeted towards trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. You know, like somatic experiencing and, and some of the others. Um, and that I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not formally trained in all of those. So, um, you know, like, so something like Hakomi, you know, requires somebody... To, to have the ability, even if it's you, you helping them get there, to have the ability to have some sort of mindfulness about their experience. If someone is severely traumatized, um, that requires a different level of, of of work. Which I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't really do a lot of that work. You know, like if if someone were, um, if someone were in that in, in a category where I felt like they they literally couldn't access that, um, I might refer them to someone who was. Um, trained mm-hmm. in something like somatic experiencing, yes. but but you know, but for something like um, oh, let's say um, I'm trying to think of an example. Uh, somebody, you know, well, I mean, as what people come to me a lot of times with um, anxiety, um, and you know, people are not always aware of of um, of of where you know where this is happening in their body. Um, you know, they might say, oh, yeah, my, you know, this gets tightened. So if I were to start working with somebody, and, and, and this would not be right at the beginning, but when we get to the stage where, you know, people are open to it, because, again, not everyone is, mm-hmm. you know, um, that, you know, we just have someone quiet down, um, close their eyes, get into a mindful state, taking some, you know, take, lead them through some little bit of calming breathing um, and helping them clear their mind a little bit with, you know, guiding them. And um, and I'll just use an example with Hakomi. We we sometimes use things we call little experiments or experiments where you might offer someone some words, um, and it and this wouldn't be you know this wouldn't be in the very beginning. After you hear a little bit of their story, and I and I mean, it could be after a few sessions um, where you know something about what's going on with them, and you know you might offer the words you know again in a mindful state hopefully they're in, um, you know, you know, Bob, tell me what you notice. What do you notice? If anything, when I say the words, 
you belong here. And, you know, you just, you know, you say it a few times and, you know, again, going with whatever his, what, what you know about his story and what he's dealing with. Um, and, and, you know, if you, it, you know, you might hit nothing, you know, and you always tell people like nothing has to happen, but let's just see, you know, it's an experiment. There might, you might tweak it. Um, there might be other things and, you know, and what you're trying to get them to do though, is to notice where they, where they notice something in their bodies. And it, it might be, you know, you might go right for something that they feel ill at ease about, anxious about, or you might go something that's, that's comforting. You know, maybe that's the missing experience for them, mm. having been comforted. Oh, that's a really you know? interesting point. The missing experience, um, so, yes. Right. And that's, you know, that's, we work, you know, we use that, a, that's mm-hmm. a big piece of the work that, you know. Um, in Hakomi and it could be a physical thing I mean because that's we're working with the body so you know the the challenge and and I've you know I've still been able to do it even because I've been doing teletherapy since you know since the beginning of March Um, you know in in the office you know I have props you know I mean I mean I, I know a lot of therapists do you know we have pillows and blankets and you know things you know you can bang or you know um rope you know like I use rope a lot um or you know like what a, are you using the rope like, for or you could yoga strap oh, so okay. um okay you know so so i was working with i mean this is a pretty common thing people who um have an attachment that's not healthy mm-hmm. you know to another person and you know you have these um you know the, you know you're working with someone who continues to reach out reach out reach out you know they're they're kind of grasping at this attachment and you know, I might have them hold on to one end of the, of the strap and I'm holding on to one end. And, you know, as they're talking, you know, they might just see themselves, you know, like they might see themselves grasping or I might ask them to like, what would, let's just see what, what you notice when you just drop this, yes. you drop the strap. Yes. And, and like I had, I was working with a woman one time and she just like, and she, her eyes just like, you know, like lit up. She's like, "Wow, yeah. holy smokes! Yeah. I this is what I've been doing." You know. Oh, I love that um, image. That's that's a really great image of just letting go of the attachment. Yeah, right. that's that's right. really and, something. And this is, you know, this is a very this, like this woman I'm speaking of, this client, very intelligent woman, very you know, professional, accomplished, um, and could you know, in her mind, you know, we could talk about a lot of this stuff, but she felt that. Yes. She experienced, she experienced that in her body. Well, I think that's, you know, that's the fascinating thing. And one of the things I like to focus on with this podcast series is, you know, psychotherapy is fantastic. And as we're, we're both psychotherapy, psychotherapists, and we believe in it and it's effective, but there's so much more that you can do with, with people, uh, to help them, get in touch with other nonverbal parts of themselves that they they can't no matter how articulate they are they just can't get in touch with it so i'm i'm really appreciating right. what you're saying right now this is really interesting um yeah. and it sounds like you're very passionate about it which of course makes you a, a wonderful therapist um with this <laughs> kind of work i mean you know you have to um i think well, I don't know. For most people, maybe they don't understand that the, the more passion that we all feel about our work, uh, the client benefits tremendously from that. Right. And I, 
and I have to say, like with Hakomi, and I, you know, I'm, I know other other trainings might do this, but um, as a requirement before you could sign up, I mean, they ought, they have these intro weekends, um, and anybody, I mean, you don't have to be a therapist to go to the, an intro weekend because it might be you're just curious about the modality for yourself and for your, you know, maybe for your own therapy. But um, you, it was a requirement you had you could not sign up for the training if you unless you did one of these intro mm-hmm. weekends. When I experienced that personally for myself and, you know, and how it affected my own life, I, I couldn't, I was so blown away by how powerful it was that I thought, holy smokes, <laughs> I have to, I have to do this. I have to, I wanted to do it for myself. And I did actually find a, after I found a therapist who, a Hakomi therapist, um, who I did work with, you know, for myself. And, um, but I really, I felt, just felt so drawn to it because, you know, I had been through talk therapy before and not that I, it, it was, it really did a lot for me, you know, it was very helpful, but I remember feeling like, okay, now what, you know, like there's, I felt like, I felt like, mm, I think we can go somewhere mm, else with this, yes, you know, yes. um, somewhere deeper. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So therapists go to other therapists to learn about themselves. <laughs> and I think for mm-hmm. some people that's news, um, but it's, it's common uh, knowledge in the field that therapists need the help of other therapists to either bring them to a deeper place or to learn about a new way to work with their clients, like what you're describing. And um, that, that keeps everybody kind of um, juiced up with new information and new approaches. So, um, so with all of this, how do you take care of yourself um, you know, what, what are your self-care practices? Well, um, for many years now, I've been meditating regularly. And, and when I say regularly, it used to be <laughs> meditation. I've loved meditation for a long time and found it beneficial. But, you know, I would do it when I went on a retreat or, you know, a weekend or something. Um, but it really wasn't until I started practicing regularly on a daily basis that it really started to have a, an impact in my life. Um, you know, Sharon Salzberg, another famous meditation teacher, says, you don't practice meditation to get better at meditation. You practice meditation to get better at mm. life. Oh, and I love that. So, yeah. So I, you know, and that's what I, that's, you know, that's what I experienced as I, when I started really having a regular meditation practice. But um, yoga, which I've practiced for a long time. I love to dance. Um, don't do it as much as I would like, but, um, and I found that especially like when I considered this question, I was thinking, um, there were so many things that I probably used to talk about. I mean, meditation has been a staple, but, um, the other things a little bit more sporadic, although the dance was a little bit more regular before COVID, but, um, but the thing since COVID, I've been I've been much better <laughs> at self care because I think I recognized early on that I that I had to do it. I mean, you know, as we're helping, as we all all therapists, you know, that this is such an unprecedented situation to be helping clients through a, tra- a traumatic time or a very difficult time that we're also experiencing. You know, that's a very unique position to be in. Um, so recognizing, like, I'm talking to my clients about how important self-care is. I have to do this for myself, too, in a way that I've never been, you know, more dedicated to in the past. So, 
um, like getting out every day, like I'm doing teletherapy and so all day in front of a screen, have to get outside. I mean, there's some wonderful things to do online and I've, one of them was a dance class that I, that I used to love to go to in person and it was happening, you know, um, on, um, you know, on the screen, you know, and, but I just couldn't do it. I couldn't well, do dance it every is, day in front of the screen. Yeah, and also dance I, is an experience that's very much communal. You know, it's almost like a primitive tribal instinct to dance yes. with other people. So, uh, you know, that's one of the things we're, we're all holding on to, right? Those, the, yeah. the, you know, the dancers out there, we're all holding on to it, but it's just not quite the same on the screen. Right, right. right. Yeah, and, but, and then boundaries, too. You know, I mean, and that's, I think, in terms of self-care as a therapist um, that I've learned, you know, and I'm continuing to learn um, the boundaries that I have to hold, you know, that to, in terms of access to clients and, and just my, you know, am I checking my phone at night? You know, am I, do I have, you know, because, you know, there used to be, there was a time when there were office hours, you know, and I mean, and not that therapists weren't available, obviously you could, you know, in emergencies, most therapists you can reach, you know, you know, by the, by a phone or a beeper, you know, (laughs) pager or whatever we used to have. But, um, you know, now we're all available 24 seven. So it's up to us to, to set those boundaries for ourselves. You know, it models it for our clients, but you know, holy smokes, again, everybody's, you know, experiencing, especially now with COVID, you know, um, you know, if we don't set boundaries for ourselves, um, then, you know, who's going to do that? So, yeah, I think um, you raised an interesting point a few minutes ago that um, this is unprecedented, where we are in the exact same situation as our clients. And, and, even though uh, people are bringing other things into their therapy sessions, this is the overriding theme that we're all uh, living under this umbrella of COVID and the anxiety around it. And so it's, as you're saying, super important to keep ourselves together and, and checked and mindful of our own needs. Otherwise, we can't be there for them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, um, yeah, is there anything else that you wanted to um, share with our audience about your practice or or a specific field of interest that you're working um, in or toward at this point? Well, I think I... I think I'm actually... um, You know, I mean, I spoke about hospice and and how... um, you know, how passionate I was about that. And then, and the work that I do now, a lot of, you know, the aspects, I, I think because I, I have, you know, I, this is a, uh, maybe fourth career for me. So, so, <laughs> My first so I, I, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like I've brought, um, I like, I couldn't have been doing this work when I was 25 years old, personally, I, you know, I mean, and, and I don't, I think anybody who gets, you know, out of grad school, you know, at that age, that doesn't mean that they're doing it in the same way that they would when they're 60 years old, you know, but um, I, 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 the life experiences that I've had, you know, going through divorce, having aging parents, both parents dying, going through different careers, raising children, you know, um, getting remarried, all of these experiences, um, you know, have, have, have contributed. 
Um, so, so there are a lot of different pieces. And so the piece, you know, I spoke about hospice, that piece of feeling passionate about that. I'm not working in hospice now, but I still very much um, am interested in and, and, and really want, you know, want to kind of do things working in that, in that arena. I mean, one of the things that I've, um, I've done and, and, you know, for various reasons, including COVID, haven't done this lately, but I was doing presentations um, um, about end of life and end of life decisions called, um, with a, uh, volunteering really for a group called The Conversation Project. And it's, it's about helping people make their, think about their own decisions, what they may want at end of life. Um, and not just, you know, like, do I want, you know, like how to sign a living will, but like really thinking about what's important to them. And, and again, a lot of this, like a lot of the hospice, um, the hospice movement in the United States, a lot of it um, was brought kind of forward through Buddhist organizations. And so it, there's a lot of it that ties in. Um, so this end of life, thinking about end of life and hospice and um, bringing in um, like what's important to me, like what what is a good day look like to me, um, and and being realistic, like you know nobody nobody wants to be um, on I shouldn't say nobody wants to be like what like talking to doctors about you know like or or and having doctors if doctors don't do this for you because a lot of them aren't comfortable with it um, having those conversations about like asking a doctor, what, what would that third or fourth round of chemo look like for me? I know it's possible. I know you can do it. You know, I know that might be the medically the next step, but like, what might that look like for me? Because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be incapacitated in this way. Like, I don't want to be able, I don't want to not be able to go to the bathroom myself, or I don't want to not be able to go to my granddaughter's graduation. Like, that's what's important to right. me. So really checking um, in with yourself in a meaningful way about what right. you want it to look like at the end. Right? So that's yeah. what, yes, yeah. yes. And so the Conversation Project helps helps people make those decisions for themselves, helps them learn how to um, make it a little bit, you know, how, how do I talk to my family about it? How do I talk to my healthcare providers about it? Um, advocating for themselves and then, um, and then, yeah. It just, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful um, program. And, and it's not, you know, listen, there, it's wonderful that there are a lot of things going on in, you know, um, culturally, um, that there are a lot of books being written about this, the, the process and about what does end of life look like and, and how do we want to, um, you know, how do we want to look at, um, how do we, how do we want to treat people at the end of their lives? How do people want to be treated? Um, you know, is, is putting people in a facility the best thing? Does, does everybody need to know what's going on with them? Some people don't want to know, and that's okay, as long as they're making a conscious decision, if they're able. Right, um, right. So, I, so I, I feel like I just went all over the yeah, place. Yeah, no, that, no. <laughs> it's, again, you know, most people aren't talking about this, so I think it's really um, important for our listeners and you know I personally am fascinated by this topic because I think it's coming out in the open so much more you know I had a personal experience when my mother was dying um, Mm -hmm. bringing hospice in and I 
I knew very little, even though I had read some books on it, and I'm a therapist, and I, I did a yeah. spirituality and why you class, and you know, all these things. But I mm-hmm. still was um, relatively naive and, and yeah. didn't have really the working knowledge that I wish that I had had. So, you know, mm-hmm. this is this is really important. It's like taking your medicine in a way initially and then people come to understand that it's 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 like you use the word beautiful. You know, and, and many yeah. people would think that's like an oxymoron to use the word beautiful right. with end of life issues, but they do go hand in hand. So Michelle, thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom and enthusiasm. And it's just been so much fun speaking with you. Um, Now, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you? Sure, yeah. Um, So I have a website, and it's one word, Michelle Gardner Therapy. And it's M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-G-A-R-D-I-N-E-R therapy.com. Um, I have Facebook page Michelle Marks Gardner Therapy, and I'm on Instagram at M M G Therapy. Wonderful! I'm sure Don't people work. are going to be looking you up and checking things. Maybe they'll uh, continue a conversation with you, or have they have questions for you? But um, sure. So this is Tamini Emotion, and uh, you can find me at T underscore Motion, the number nine. And uh, you can find this podcast on Spotify or iTunes. And please subscribe. And we look forward to uh, speaking with you maybe further, part two. Who knows? Maybe you'll come back and illuminate us on (laughs) some other things. And um, (laughs) that's all for now. Have a good day. Bye-bye.